0: We've been talking about the book of Joshua, and um, I, think this, I don't think we're going to rush through this book. I, this is like such an amazing <coughs> book of truth, and it's been so encouraging for me. How many of you have ever read through the book of Joshua? Okay. How many of you have been impacted by this book in some way in your personal life? Yeah. It's, a, it's an amazing book. Let's just turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 4. And I just want to review a couple things that we have talked about over the last few weeks. And four things that we can um, review. Number one, uh, Joshua is a type of who? And When we say type, what does that mean, a type? What's the word, what's the word is, that we use for <clears throat> type? So what is Joshua a type of? Picture of. Picture of. Typology, yeah. like a symbol of. Joshua is a symbol of who in the New Testament? Because the Old Testament is just a shadow of New Testament truths. Joshua is a type of what? Christ, right? Jesus is our Joshua. And that's important because when we look at God speaking to Joshua, if we put ourselves in that position, which sometimes we do, sometimes we as Christians put ourselves in the position of Joshua, and we can see this incredible load on top of Joshua, and we're thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't do that. How can I lead, and how can I do all of that? We need to look at Joshua as a type of Christ. and We have noticed in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that that word Joshua is really the same word in the New Testament for Jesus. So when you have, an, when you have a Greek reader back in the day when they were reading the, the Old Testament in the Greek translation, they're reading the Greek translation, and they're, they're reading this. And God said to Jesus, wherever the sole of your foot goes, there I have given unto you. So Jesus really is our Joshua. And that's the first thing that we said. The second thing that we said is that Moses, who represented all of the law and its regulations, Ten Commandments, the hundreds of laws that that existed up to the time of Christ, Moses, who represented all of the law and its regulations, was perfect, healthy, and he never faded in its strength. Meaning that when, when Moses died at the age of 120, he died with all of his strength, all of his vigor, his eyes were perfect. Every aspect about him was absolutely super healthy. He just died in the mountains of Baal Peor before the children of Israel came across the Jordan. That's a picture of the law. The law, it lacks nothing. The law is perfect in all of its ways. There's nothing unhealthy about it. And it never, The law in its standards will never degrade and will never, will never like, like decrease in its strength and its value. The law is perfect, but the law is perfect, but it is weak in this one thing. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it's weak in our flesh, meaning that the law is perfect, unchanging. It's a a standard that never changes, but it cannot bring you and I to the place of the promised land that God has for us. Okay, so let's just focus here. The law is... Cannot bring anyone into the promised land. I think that sometimes when we think about, I got to change things in my life. I got to do this. I got to get God's plan for. I want to get God's plan for my life altogether. I want to experience victory in my life. So I got to start obeying the law better. But the problem with that is this: is that when I start thinking like that, the law has no. The law has no power. Obeying the law is not going to make bring is not going to bring me into the promised land for my life. I can't think that I'm going to do and get rewarded by God, because that's that's the old thinking that's in the law. The third thing that we talked about is crossing of the Jordan speaks of what? It's a symbol. The crossing of the Jordan River speaks of uh, an amazing truth in the New Testament. Jordan, the Jordan River speaks of what? It speaks of death, doesn't it? It speaks of this raging river that overflows the banks, that the law, the, the, the death, the physical death of a person cannot be stopped. It's going to happen. And whoever wades into that Jordan River is going to be overpowered by its, by its strength. No one can overcome death. Jordan spoke of death. When Israel passed through to Jordan, Israel was passing through death, burial, and resurrection with Jesus Christ. was passing through jo- Joshua with Joshua. Joshua and the Ark of the Covenant was, was marching through, and when they came to the, came to the edge of Jordan, what happened? It, it says in the book of Psalms that the Jordan River fled in the presence of God. The Jordan River parted. We looked at that last week. There were several miles. The place where the Jordan River parted was several miles long of dry ground because there about 2 million people that needed to cross And they crossed in haste. Isn't that amazing? And then the fourth thing that we said was, is that the prevalent theme of Joshua would be what? Rest. We see a lot of victory going on there. But we see every, we see that every campaign of the Israelites in Joshua started from the point of rest. It was not started from point of panic. We got to do something. We got to make something happen. We got to do this. We can't just be sitting around. We got to get, we got to roll up our sleeves and, and attack this, this nation. No, it was from a place of rest. i are going to see more of that this morning. Joshua chapter four verses one through eight. And this morning we're just going to read a lot of verses. I'm going to make some comments, and uh, we're going to go expositionally through this book. And so let's look at this uh, Joshua chapter four verse one. And first I want to look at the first eight verses together with you. When all the nation had finished over, passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people. So imagine this. The Jordan River is still parted. Okay? It, hasn't, it has not come back yet. It's still parted. And it's going to be parted for a little while. <coughs> and all the Israelites <coughs> pass through Jordan on dry ground. And as they are finishing passing over, when the nation, with all the nation, what an amazing an entire nation crossing the Jordan—that's an incredible picture here. The Jordan River represented this unbeatable barrier between the promises of God and the experiences of God's people. Do you feel like that there's this major barrier in your life where you and I are not experiencing the promises of God as a as a family, as a single person, or as a nation? And when they had passed through the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua is what I want you to do. I want you to take 12 men from the people, a man from each tribe, and tell them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan. So they're going to, as each tribe is going to choose a man, and each, that man, his job was to take a stone from inside the dry bed of the Jordan and from the very place where the priest's feet stood. Now, the priests, if you remember, were standing in the water, uh, they, were, they were braving the, the, the powerful current of the Jordan River that was swollen at the time, and they were probably standing on some rocks. And the Israelites, these 12 men, were to take a rock from each, uh, from the place where these priests were standing on, and lay them down in the place where you're going to lodge tonight. Get it? Following this? They're going to take rocks and they're going to put them in the camp where they were going to spend the night, their first night in the promised land. Verse 4, And then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. Take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. That this might be a sign when your children ask in time to come, what did these stones mean to you? And then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you've been to Israel. I have not been to Israel. But there is this, this, incre- this Jordan River, parts in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. I'm just, that to me speaks of the amazing presence of God in our life. That when we walk into trouble, when we walk into impossibility, when we walk into a lot of hindrance, there is something in your life, and that is the ark of the presence of the Lord. That is Jesus Christ in us. Colossians chapter 1. He is the hope of glory. And, when, and we don't even realize it. We're, we're kind of just doing our thing. we got, we got our thought life going on. We walk into a circumstance, and then there's the presence of the Holy One of God in us, and there are some incredible things happening in the unseen world. And in verse 7, that you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And in verse 8, and the people of Israel did that. They created, they they brought these rocks. They brought them up to Gilgal where they were spending the night. And they put them there. Here's the first point I want to make. It's just a practical point. My wife and I were talking about this recently. We live really in a society where we're really rushing to get from point A to point B, aren't we? Like, I wanna get from A to B. I wanna get from this situation, plow through what I need to get through to get to this situation, and then I'm gonna chill, then I'm gonna relax, I'm gonna be able to kick back. But you, can, you know what can happen very easily? What can happen very easily is, is that we get so occupied from getting from point A to point B that we really miss what's between we really miss that moment of miracle. Um, I think that sometimes, when we go to sleep at night, what we need to do is we need to get it on our knees before the Lord, or just get before the Lord. However you do it, and 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 gather stones from the dry bed that God brought you through that day. We need to take. We need to make a memorial with our wives, with our kids. We need to ask our kids, hey, what did, how was your day? What did you know what kind of miracle did you see? What what did what did God do for you today? We need to go over that in our mind. If we're, you know, uh, as a single person, we need to before we before we finish today, we need to recognize the miracle that God has done in our midst. Make a memorial, make that memorial, make that make that thing where you can take these stones, bring it to the place of rest, and it'll be a memorial for you and for all generations. Because if we don't do that. We're going to hit the age of 80 and we're going to still trying to go from A to B, A to B. And we're never going to have any any memorials in our life to to enjoy what God has done in our midst. Okay, let's look at verse nine of Joshua, chapter four. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan. Wait. Did God tell him to do that? Did God say, Joshua, I want you to take twelve stones and then put them in the midst of the Jordan? No, God didn't tell him to do that. Joshua does this on his own. When I think about that, I think, okay, Joshua's taking the stones out, having the 12 men from the tribes, bringing them up to Gilgal. That's where gonna, they're going to spend their first night. But now Joshua, by himself, is kind of doing something between him and God. And this really spoke to me yesterday when I was going through this again. Joshua takes 12 stones, and he brings them down. And while the waters are still parted, and the priests are still holding the ark, I mean, there's no rush here. And he builds this little thing right where the priests were standing. Why did he do that? Because I think Joshua, as representing Jesus and his father or the believer in our walk with God, takes a moment with God privately. And he says, I want to just, I want there to be a proof that in the middle of an impossible miracle that it happened, I am putting some evidence there. I don't know how that translates to you, but we need to take moments in our miracles between us and God, and say, you know something, I was at the bottom of that river. I was in this was the low. This was a low point, but yet it was a great victory in my life. And I'm taking these stones, and then because when the waters come back and they and they begin to flow like they did for thousands of years, one thing is going to be different. There's going to be there's going to be a pile of stones in the bottom of that river that give proof that God did something impossible in my life and that sign is still there. And guess what? Nobody's going to know it's there except for me. Isn't that great? Yeah, That's amazing. Do that in your life. Have these moments. Where you get. A, I know moms were busy. I know, I know as single people were just running all over the place. We've got so much going on. Take a moment with God between A and B and celebrate that moment with God. Simple truth, but I think it's just very important. He does that. There's another meaning here in verse 9 that I want to, I want to um, point out, and it's a biblical meaning. So there's really two memorials. There's one in the river, right? And then there's one up there on Gilgal on the other side of the river. And what that speaks of, it really speaks of that in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we were buried together with him by the baptism unto death. Baptism, going fully under the, under the water, going through the water. And we were buried with him in baptism to death. And in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Got that? That we too might walk in the newness of life. We passed through this Jordan, which just speaks of death, spiritual death. And we're brought to the other side that we could walk in the newness of life. You know something? You know what the newness of life is for you and I? It's for you and I to face the giants in the land that God has given us. God has given you land. I don't know what that land is, but in 2019, yeah, I got that right, 2019. <laughs> I thought I got it backwards. The land that God has given you and I in 2019, there are giants there, there are nations, there are spiritual forces in high places that God has given you, like Caleb, has given you as an inheritance. This is your inheritance, by the way. Adversity is our inheritance, and adversity is our bread. Um, God said to the Israelites, these giants will be bred for you. We need adversity. We need it. Because if we don't have adversity, then we get weak in the legs, and then we lose our spine, and we lose our spiritual shape. Adversity is, our, adversity is something that God has not called us on our own to face, but he is empowering us through the power of Jesus Christ to face them, to follow our Joshua into the land and see those defeated. What are the giants in your life today? Finances? Are they? Do you have giant finances? Uh, how about marriage? Or how about no marriage? Or how about past relationships? Or how about in your personal life struggling with something? Maybe there's a giant in your life that just is like Goliath that is every day facing the children of Israel saying, send me a man that I might, that I might war with him. That is Satan, through this giant flesh, mocking the nation of Israel. Satan wants to mock you and I in Exodus 32. I think it's verse 17, that Egypt mocked Israel while they were in the wilderness. And when that giant comes forward, God's not going to ask us to take on an armor that's not our, that doesn't fit us, that belongs to a fleshly person like Saul. God's calling us to face that giant in the name of the Lord of hosts that that, there, that the nations may know that there's a God in Israel. The, 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 the giants that face us today are given to us by God to be our bread. It's for our bread. You know, these chickens, I mean, how many have watched a little chick um, break out of an egg? How many have ever done that? I mean, as, as kids, we've seen it. And you, the, the temptation is, you can see the little chicken, they're getting tired and kind of, kind of just taking a break there, and you think, okay, is he not, not going to make it, or is he going to die in that egg? And the temptation as kids was for us to break the egg open, to let the chicken out, to let the little chick out. And I remember our teacher telling us that if we did that, then we're actually doing a disservice to the chick, because the chick could actually, if we break the egg open and the chick comes out, it doesn't have the strength it needs to actually get up and to, take the, the, to, to grow to the next step as a chick our adversities are given to us by God so that we can see that there is a God in our nation, that there's a God in our life, that there is a God in our midst. Let's look at verse 11 here. And the people passed over in haste. That's interesting. That's verse 10. Um, people are going to be hasty, but Joshua is not hasty. The priests are not hasty. We are looking at ourselves in this story as in the place of the priest's there's no rush. When God is moving, we don't need to rush. God is in control. I think that sometimes when God is opening doors and situations for us, we're thinking, i got to rush through this. I've got I to gotta push through this. No, think with God and don't live under the pressure of the circumstance. And the people had finished passed over in verse 11. The ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. And we see that there are these that after the ark, there are the, the, the armies um, of the two and a half tribes and in that moment in verse 14 on that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel what does that mean to us here this morning that God exalted Joshua in the midst of all of Israel Joshua being a picture of Jesus Christ God is exalting Jesus Christ in our midst when Jesus Jesus was crucified was buried in that Jordan river and rose again on the third day on the side of Gilgal he was exalted in the midst of the church when we see when we see Jesus pass through the Jordan there is an exaltation of Jesus Christ in our life this is what this is what is so invigorating this is what's so inspiring this is what's so amazing to see Christ be exalted in our life in these miracles Let's look at verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Now, why is God taking the time to talk about dates here? Because these dates, whenever you see dates, think about historically what that means in the, in the, um, uh, in the, in the history of, of Israel. They encamped at Gilgal on the east side, on the east border of Jericho. And these 12 stones, they take them out, they put them up Gilgal. This 10th day reminds me of what happened in Exodus chapter 12. Um, it's a day when, remember what happened in Exodus chapter 12? They were The families were told to take a Paschal lamb and prepare it to be sacrificed. That's the exact same day that the Israelites pass and they are on Gilgal. They are four days out preparation for the the sacrifice lamb. <coughs> in chapter five, we see, at the beginning of chapter five, um, we see that Joshua circumcises the entire nation, has the entire nation. Who's, by the way, who's circumcising here? Joshua is. The New Testament believer, circumcision speaks of sanctification. Who sanctifies us? Jesus Christ does. Praise the Lord. That's not me trying to sanctify myself for this new year that I'm facing. It's Christ that, that circumcises us. And he does it. And when he does it, in verse 8, let's look at this, and I'm going to wrap it up here. Let's look at verse eight of chapter five. And when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained they remained in their places in the camp until they were all healed. And then in verse 9 it says, As the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Now, I know it's warm in here. I don't know if we can drop the temperature at all. But just think of this as a this is a point I don't want us to miss as we finish up this message. Today I have rolled away the reproach. Or the mockery of Egypt from you. And so that the name of the place today is called Gilgal. Now why is that important? What does Gilgal mean? Gilgal in Hebrew literally means this. To roll away. What was rolled away in the believer's life? The stone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Easter. We, we, we celebrate the, the stone that was rolled away. That's what this word Gilgal means. It means to roll away something. And what was rolled away? The reproach or the mockery of Egypt. Let's kind of put our heads, let's put our thinking caps on together and look at this. Jesus is crucified, right? Yeah. He's put in a, in a tomb, and there's a stone there, and there's this big stamp of the Roman government on that, on that stamp saying, if you open, if you roll this away, you will be subject to the, to the punishment of the same crimes that the person is, is in that tomb for. So this, this, this stone represents the finality, the authority, the completed work of crucifixion and execution yeah. on Jesus' life. That stone is there, and when people and his disciples walked by and looked at the stone, they thought it's done. So, who could ever move that stone? Yeah. This is what is called the reproach or the mockery. And when the, when the disciples walked to, walked by, maybe during those three days that Jesus was 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 crucified, and he was uh, he was he was I don't want to say dead, but he was um, he had been crucified. They're walking by and they're looking at their stone and they're thinking, that's like that stone is like a mockery to me. It's like when, when something happens in our life and, and there's that stone or that Jordan River that we can't change. We kind of feel like, I feel like the devil's mocking me. I feel like the devil and the people, uh, the people that are not God's people or the enemies of God or just people that don't even know what God's done in my life, they're mocking me. You ever feel that way? Yeah. I'm being mocked or my situation's mocking me. Or maybe a family member has got a really great situation going on, and I'm walking with God, and I'm just getting pounded all the time. And I'm just thinking, that's such a mockery. That's that, what that word, reproach, the reproach of Egypt. What was Egypt all about? Egypt was like, we're not going to let you guys go. We're going to keep you in bondage. It's the world. It's the flesh, and it's the devil. It's the system of the devil that wants to keep God's people in bondage and in slavery to addictions, to fears, and to things like that. And this is this reproach. And that whole time, the devil and the demons are, are mocking the people of God in Egypt. And they're mocking Jesus in the, in the tomb. And that, that, that stone is there. But then there's Gilgal. Gilgal is an amazing picture of resurrection in the Old Testament. It's an amazing picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That that third day, when, when nobody had, had, had expected it, Jesus bursts out of the tomb. The stone is rolled away. And the mockery of his death and the mockery of his <clears throat> defeat and the mockery of your defeat and the mockery of your, of your circumstances that seem to tie us down sometimes, that mockery is rolled away at Gilgal. When God, through Jesus Christ, has led us through the impossibility of a circumstance and we've gathered stones as memorials to take us to take with us to that place, God brings you and I to this place of resurrection. You and I are no longer under the bondage of Egypt. We got to say this every week. We got to say this every day. This is what it means to take up our cross every day. Take up my cross every day doesn't mean like, okay, I got to bear this. I got to bear this situation now. I got to do that. I'm, I'm just and I'm just dying and I'm just losing my. I'm burning out. That's not taking up your cross. Taking up the cross in the Bible means that I am taking on in the renewal of my mind in Romans chapter 12 that I'm a new creation in Christ that all things are passed away, and that I'm a, I'm a living sacrifice, and that means I'm quickened in my mind, and I'm ready to face my giants, and I'm ready to face my day, and I'm ready to face the, the demons that have been in the genealogies of our families for generations and generations, and we're ready to face it, because we've, been, we've passed through death, and we've, we've, we've been seated with Christ in resurrection, and we are no longer under that, bird, under that bondage. And so this is what this beautiful principle means in Colossians chapter 2 verse 12 and 13 I'm going to read these verses and then I'm going to to close in prayer buried with him in baptism wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God those are some pretty interesting words the faith of the operation of God Monday I was thinking about those words the faith of the operation of God what does that mean it sounds so wow it sounds like quite the phrase there It just means that I am depending on the energy and the power of God to make what he did for my salvation, but to apply it for my day-to-day. It means that I place my faith in the ability of God. I'm going to follow Jesus. I don't know where Jesus is leading me in the details of my life this year, but I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow his promises. And as we do that, it says here in Colossians 2, it says that we are, risen, we are risen with him through faith of the operation of God who raised him from the dead. And look at this. And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it away, nailing it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, trium- triumphing over them in it this is the this is like this is like the great truth of this of the scripture here is that the accusations the mockery the reproach of Egypt in your life may be you know what I blew it 10 years ago I blew it last night Or or I have this and you know some of us have a past where we we relate to ourselves to the past and we're walking around like okay that's me no that's not who you are and sometimes we need to talk we just we need to push back say you know what I know who you are. No, you don't. you don't. You have no idea who I am. If you're not renewed in the spirit of your mind, you don't know who I am today in this moment. People may know the story of your flesh, but that's not who you are. That's not who you and I are. We are who we are today in Christ, and the, and the, and the reproach and the mockery and the shame has been rolled away from us. We are no longer on the other side of Jordan. We are in Gilgal, And we are set for success. I know that's a business term, but I want to use that term. We are in a place. We are seated with Christ. We are a success story before we get out of bed in the morning. If you're wrestling with something, that battle is already done. Just stand in that truth. Stand in who you are in Christ. And if people know you after the flesh, just smile. And just say, you know what? Let me tell you what God did in my life. And don't live under other people's mindset of who you are. People are looking at Israel and they're thinking, oh, those are just those, those, are those refugees from, from Egypt. Yeah, and they're about ready to take, right, they're about ready to take out Jordan, uh, Jericho. Let's not live in people's concepts of who we are. Let's live in a daily revelation of who we are in Christ's new creation. Amen. When we do that, we can look at our future and say, hey, I'm camping out at Gilgal. I'm living in resurrection life. I'm not living under the principalities and powers, the demonic activity in this world against me. I'm a new creation in Christ, and I'm loved by God. And when we think that way, we can follow Jesus, we can follow his promises into a land. And guess what? The giants start falling. We're like, hey, what happened to that giant? Oh, he, Jesus took him out through the cross that I'm taking up every day. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you, God. I'm just so excited about the finished work of Jesus Christ.